Are you out of your mind? Ah, uh, yes, completely, but that's not a recent thing. Listen. Hold to our... Yes, and what do you do? You give me oxygen. This is the moment you've been waiting for since the day you were born. Don't screw it up now. You know, I really think you might. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello, welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, all of it, in random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. And yes, all of it, absolutely all, all of it. it. We're committed, people. Stay with us. <laughs> we'll eventually get there. We'll get them all. And we, we are a couple of guys who've written about Doctor Who the best and, and just love the show and uh, love any excuse to talk about it. Um, totally. And uh, love the, the view of the show you get from watching it in random order. Which uh, yeah. has particular resonance this week, I think, with the, the fact that we'd seen the episode that we watched this time, we'd seen some of the consequences of it already. So it, it felt very doctorish, right, that we were kind of watch, watching this out of order. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, as um, people might not know, that <laughs> the episode we've been taken to by our the beloved randomizer is a, one called Oxygen. Uh, mm. which I believe aired in 2017. Uh, so it's fairly, right. fairly recent Capaldi episode uh, from his last season. Uh, but we had seen the um, consequences of this episode, which, uh, spoiler alert, is the Doctor Goes Blind. And uh, mm. we we saw how that sort of turns out in The Pyramid at the End of the World, Lie the Land. Um, so it's interesting. I think right. the randomizer really wanted us to... Who, Really was really fascinated by that. Could it could the randomizer couldn't get it out of its head? Like, how, what 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 was that about? We gotta go. We gotta go back and see how that happened. This, this is how you know. This is how you know it's truly random. Is that weird? Weird stuff happens where the episodes it's taking us to are kind of bunching up mm. in in uh, interesting ways. And uh, yeah, it is producing a situation where this sort of felt like a prequel that was produced years later. <laughs> yeah, the randomizer <laughs> certainly has its preferences. Too, because um, it loves Capaldi. Like this is what was this? Our third or fourth yep. Capaldi outing. Um, yeah, even though we haven't, like it's there's, there's many doctors we haven't even done one with yet. So mm. you know, Capaldi so, yeah. is uh, reaping the the benefits of this random journey. It uh, certainly shows that you know Dude. the things don't even out quite so soon uh, when you do a, a completely random thing. But yeah, Capaldi's Capaldi's pretty good. <laughs> but, um, it's we've done a we'll lot get of there eventually. Yeah, but, um, yeah. But before we get into it, we should uh, catch up with everything that's been happening with Paul to open on the socials. Uh, mm-hmm. Pete has has how's the world of TikTok? The world of TikTok is always a fascinating world to visit in time and space. Um, <laughs> anyway, we have great fans there. Um, and we have been sharing uh, stuff from the last couple of uh, podcasts we've done. So there was Planet of Evil and Androids of Tara. And uh, people people enjoy, there was a good consistent response on the Planet of Evil stuff. Uh, I think it, Tom Baker and Sarah Jane, uh, I just said the actor and a character, Tom Baker and Liz Slayton uh, are always like crowd pleasers. And so there was a lot of good um, <laughs> feedback on that. And on Androids of Tara, I just want to tease this out. We did something we've never done before, uh, which was take what we're about to do shortly, which is the TLDR, or sorry, TLDW (laughs) part of the podcast, which is where we recap the episode in uh, a very, what turns out to be a very short amount of time. Um, And we did a a TikTok on it, because TikTok uh, is actually giving you more time. So we did the full, like, two-minute recap that we had for that one. Uh, which was a really fun thing to to do and to edit. I, I, I really, I love this idea because I love the idea that what we're building is a a library in TikTok of every Doctor Who story in like two minutes or less. Yeah, I think that would be an enormously useful resource. Uh, and people could just TLDW the entire show by the time we're finished, Pete. The entire I, show. I, I look forward to that archive getting assembled, and I perhaps <laughs> also look forward to 
an intrepid editor who wants to help us take that on. Cause that was, I will say that was the most difficult edit uh, huh. we've ever had on TikTok. It was well worth it. It was super fun to do. I got to say, when you get into an edit like that and you're going through it and you're kind of looking for the perfect moment in the show to encapsulate. So you had to slice it down. You had to slice it down to less than, than two minutes. I, I don't actually know what the maximum. Oh, no, I mean like what in, in, in searching for, as we were, um, as going for every piece of the, the spoken summary, you look for a slice of the episode that best encapsulates oh, that. See. And so you, you just need ex- exponentially more slices to put in the background for it to, mm. to, really, um, mm-hmm. to really work, which again is super fun. I really like when you said, uh, so they're, they're yeah. going to, you're going to crown the Android. So they do that. And that was like a two second thing for between them talking. And then suddenly the crowns on the guy, which is kind of a funny transition, but it's like, you have to look for each and every one of those sort of moments and then mm. put it all together, which was kind of cool. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's cool. It's super fun to do. And I think the result was really cool. Uh, let us know if you liked it. Let us know if you want to do those <laughs> as an editor, because <laughs> I'd love to talk to you. Maybe we could work out something. Um, but it's uh it's uh it's it's an exercise that I look forward to uh, replicating. Um, yes, indeed. With this, more. This, this, time, this will be a monument uh, contribution to human civilization. Doctor exactly. Who. Exactly. Uh, first story in random order in two minutes or less. And before we go uh, from TikTok, I just want to um, give a shout out to uh, our to a thousandth follower. Uh, let me find find the I found the profile. One second. I'm gonna I'm gonna call him up now. It was a because I know we promised uh, some weeks ago that we were going to reward this person. Now I will say it depends on this person uh, uh, following, no, not following us, but uh, allowing me to follow because it's a protected account. Actually, listening to this podcast. Yeah, so it's a guy <laughs> named James, and the the profile. Hi, Number is J six eight four seven three nine. That's his actual handle. So if that's you, uh, please please accept <laughs> our request to follow you, so we can send you a message and then uh, perhaps work out uh, this prize action, James. Yes. Anyway. Yes, James. James, lots of numbers. Uh, let us know who you are. We're we're interested in you. We're glad you followed us. Uh, you become a pull to open superstar. And uh, we, uh, we'd we love to hear from you, start a dialogue, maybe even invite you on the show. I think that's a worthy prize. I think that's totally a worthy prize. And uh, I think we've got to set an expiry date on this, and then we'll go to the 1,001 first <laughs> follower. Because, uh, I don't know, oh, James. No, we, he's, 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 we will he's never only... stop hunting for James. <laughs> he's only got two people following him. We will take our TARDIS everywhere. Right now. <laughs> We'll be like the puddle in the pilot, right? Like we're just gonna like wherever you go, yeah, you're exactly. go to the end of the universe, this James. Is... We're we're gonna find you. <laughs> oh, uh, sounds like well, a threat, that's, right? That's a nice segue. <laughs> we will not stop. We will hunt you down. Um, we're not actually doing it ourselves. It's our suits are making us do it. So that's that's my excuse. Hmm. My, Oxygen themed excuse for the day. Love it. All right. No more spoilers. <laughs> well, we should. Uh, until, uh, I'm we... sorry. Yes. <laughs> until well, the moment has now arrived. It is that part of the show. Oh my god, has it? Time. Can you tell I've been stalling? <laughs> I'm always just the last one. I didn't I, quite get it. I got close, but I mean, I think I can do it this time. The, the new who's are. I think I can, I can stall. I can stall a little bit more um, because right. I, I, we can Please pause do. for like station identification. You're listening to Pull to Open. Um, but also for the fact that it is Saturday, August 28th, when we were recording this. I always like to locate us in space and time. And oh the space that I'm in is, is the Bay Area. And uh, the, the Bay Area is, this is basically the, uh, the wood smokiest day of the year as the massive mega fires that rage in Northern California turn their fury in our direction with the Diablo winds, that's what they're called, that come from the north, all starting to feel a bit Doctor Who-ish. But certainly for that reason, it was a very interesting time to be watching a show called Oxygen, uh, that is, mm. as people was about to reveal, about uh, setting limits on how much you can breathe. 
yes. when I am here in an environment that does inherently set limits on how much you can breathe, at least outdoors. So, uh, with that in mind... Hit, hit close now, to home for you, huh? Are you okay? <laughs> super close to home. As, as often happens with the randomizer, right? It just it finds a way to tweak us somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, without further ado, Pete Paschal, come on down. Oh, my. Okay, I'm doing this. So this is this is TLDW. TLDW, too long, Doctor Who, in which we <laughs> give you 30 seconds per 30 minutes. And Roughly, I guess for yeah. you, who we're 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 generous, and we give you a full minute. Okay. So Peter's about to describe the entire plot of Oxygen in one minute, just as soon as I find my stopwatch. <laughs> uh, we we will get that going. And uh, all right. Pete, you ready? You feeling nervous? Ready. Okay, not not closed all the tabs. No <laughs> notes. It's all from memory. Let's do this. All right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so there's these two people. They're outside of a space station fixing it, and they're having a moment, but then one of them gets killed by these zombie people in spacesuits, and they advance on the other guy. Meanwhile, the doctor is at the the university he's at and he's given a lecture on space even though it's supposed to be crop rotation and talking about how it the, the vacuum of space is so bad uh persuades bill to go into space with him because he's into space and he likes to travel and they go on sort of distress call which is that from the station in the far future which seconds. uh the people there have all been killed by their suits it turns out the suits that they're in are killing them why are they killing them well it's not clear. They think it's a hack, but the doctor and Bill and Nardle uh, figure out that they need to, they have to put these suits on because there's no oxygen in this place. It's only in the suits. So they try to help the people, but then, then they figure out it is actually the corporation that runs the station that's been killing them because they haven't been efficient. And that they do is they tie the suits to the, the, the station itself and threaten to blow it up. And time. So they'll be too expensive for them to do it. And I forgot the thing about the <laughs> spacewalk with the doctor going out of the the space and getting blind and bill is okay because the you know, doctor gave her a helmet and he's, but the doctor's blind. He doesn't tell anyone though. It's, it's a big reveal at the end of the episode. And that was like, I, I probably shouldn't have started with the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that, I that was I a nice try. I feel like I need to do over. It was like, I, 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 now we can do the archive, right? Cause it's like, I mean, we can, but, it's just well, I tell you gonna... what. Yeah, I tell you what we could do at the very end of the episode. We we could do it again. Okay. After after we've relaxed, we chilled out, we've discussed it, we've shot it back and forth. We can give you one more go. You know what? I, my my bad call that, like I said, is was trying to start with the cold open, which really is just yes. kind of background, right? Like I but I thought it was such a good cold open. It was a beautiful cold open, and, and right. that's the thing about coming to this show straight from from Classic Who is the production values just feel off the charts. Like Agreed. Feel at several points like you're you're watching uh, 2001 or you're watching uh, Gravity. I know a lot of people compared the the cold open to this episode to uh, the movie Gravity with uh, Sandra Bullock spinning around in space. Like it, it literally starts with a space spin, and meanwhile the the doctor's doing the voiceover, and he says, "Space the final frontier." Star Trek reference, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final frontier that, is trying to kill you. Now, was that um, is that the only Star Trek reference, by the way, in Doctor Who? Has there ever been another Star Trek reference? We did we not find that there was one in uh, the Lie of the Land? Oh, was there? I believe I remember. Um something that mm. Nardole says. Oh yeah, he says let's trek on because he's just done a Vulcan neck pinch. Oh yeah. Okay, now you're you're yes, okay. So but that was after this. So I guess this is yes. the season of Star Trek references. That was think about it. <laughs> really? <laughs> Interesting. Uh yes. Super weird. I but I like that part. I like that the doctor's taking this thing and subverting it and um uh, the the fact that the doctor subverts um the uh, the famous the most famous line in all of star trek at the opening of the show kind of gives you a clue that subversion is what's happening here like uh mm. you know uprising rebellion like the doctor himself is rebelling against uh nardol who is not all is standing in for the old doctor or that you know capaldi's 
previous self who mm-hmm. locked spoiler alert Missy in the vault and has to guard the vault. Um, and he's saying, you know, uh, you, you can't go into space. I know you're missing space. You can't do it. Um, so that's, there's, there's that sort of sense of sense of perversion of, you know, the doctor's giving in to his, uh, perverse imp, his, his basest impulses, just go run, run away from his problems, run into space. You know, that's the main thing that we've known about the doctor all these years that he just likes to get away. Yeah. Um, I think and then, well, I was going to say, and then the episode continues to subvert our expectations and sort of subvert the... It, it attempts, with varying degrees of success, we can discuss this, to subvert capitalism, um, <laughs> which may be too big a target uh, to have taken on. But it also subverts our expectations that everything's going to be fixed and normal by the end by with the, the wonderful cliffhanger that the Doctor is actually blind. He did not fix his blindness. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is definitely... Um... A, a pretty good twisty episode. Um, so there's, mm. there's a lot of sort of back and forth um, in all, on all the sort of aspects you mentioned. I feel like it's, it's interesting. Um, some of those are more interesting than others, but that um, unfortunately not all the characters are well used and you're, you're kind of, you, mm. you don't quite get enough of a feel for, any one of these things as much to get super into the story. That said, I think it's a really good story. Um, the, the space, the final frontier, uh, I, you know, obviously it's a, it's a delightful reference and they, you know, subverting the, 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 the sort of expectation of, um, of what he was saying there, but also like, I just like the realistic portrayal of a vacuum, uh, which is a rare thing in mm. science fiction. Um, and the, they kind of get it wrong a little bit cause they don't do quite the silence, you know, like I, I think 2001 and other movies yeah. like that, get that correct. Um, but the, the, you know, this, the, the, the series, even Dr. Who has played very fast and loose with like the effects of a vacuum on, on a body. And, uh, I don't think they've ever quite done it in like, a you know, nuking the fridge kind of way where you're just kind of rolling your eyes, but <laughs> Yeah. Um, Nuking the, the moon, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but um, there's definitely been times in old Who where they've sort of like, how did they do that? Like, I think Fort of Doomsday was sort of the biggest one where, uh, again, it was the Doctor, so they can kind of get away with it because he's a Time Lord and we mm. don't know the extent of his resistance to a vacuum, which is kind of tested to the absolute limit here. Um, but they've they've never, you know, it's it's kind of a in sci-fi and a Doctor in particular, it's it's so much of it's in space, but you never quite get the like here's what happens when you don't actually have these quote-unquote bubbles to protect you um so that was that i thought was mm. very cool what it was and I, th- I th- another thing i thought was cool is that you you get the science lecture first yeah literally the doctor is lecturing and uh i i love it's such a great detail that you had to put it in dldw i love that it was supposed to be a class on crop rotation and he just somehow has gotten off the topic and into drawing a giant skull made of space on the blackboard. Um, but you, you get the sort of, you get the lesson first. And again, we've talked about this in the past, part of Doctor Who's legacy, that it was supposed to be a semi-educational show. It does that, I think, very effectively by having the Doctor lecture on the actual science and simultaneously foreshadowing things like the fact that you shouldn't hold your breath in space because you'll explode right so like these kind of more so i guess somewhat nerdy details about it but i know like mm. for a while in sci-fi there was like a matter of some debate on exactly what happens to your body if you were exposed to the vacuum of space and i think this mm. you know that we we've, we've come to a consensus on it and i think this is presented as the what actually happens not like they do it's not like there's been a lot of testing about this but there, there actually has been some testing um, not with humans, but I think in terms of um, mm. what happens to a to a to a, uh, a you know I, a creature when it, it it basically is exposed to the vacuum of space, uh, it all sounds very accurate. Um, and I think you know to your point about it looking great, like just seeing Bill's face even when her uh, she's in the mm. airlock and she doesn't have the helmet on. And having that background from yes. the first scene, you're just like, oh, like you, you know, you, 
it's almost like that dialogue is Chekhov's gun, right? And we're, 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 you kind of know it is, but then yes. when you finally see it, like you're really just whoa, oh wow, they're really doing it. Um, and <laughs> it, it is, you know that that's what struck me on a second viewing. I, I hadn't watched this since it came out. Um, was that the airlock scene is one? I think one of the greatest. It, it really stood out for me this time. It was one of the greatest airlock scenes in science fiction. And mm. I love a good airlock scene. I love the airlock scenes in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, there, there's a great one in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The, the various mm. iterations of that where Ford and Arthur are, are literally thrown out of an airlock and, and you know, it plays with the, <laughs> the fact that science fiction invents uh, utterly improbable solutions to that by the you know the infinite <laughs> improbability drive in the heart of gold picks them up but they are out in space for 30 seconds right so that made a huge impact on me as a child because uh, yeah. I, I watch hitchhikers you know contemporaneously with with doctor who so i, I thought about that a lot the, the fact that you know uh in the douglas adams universe you can survive for 30 seconds i think that's roughly where science is at at the moment uh, certainly, it, it it is true that you know you could survive for just a few seconds if you didn't hold your breath and make yourself explode. If you didn't, you know, give your blood enough time to boil, blah blah blah. Right, you need to make it to safety on the other side very quickly. Yeah, uh, I love that the episode plays with this. I love what happens after she goes out of the airlock, where it's not just a way to sort of make the space battle of the zombies uh, against the zombies super cheap, but also you know mm-hmm. by just making it slow motion. And very right. sort of a expressionistic filmmaking. You're seeing it from her perspective. You're feeling like you yourself have been thrust out of an airlock with no oxygen. Yeah. Like you really feel for her and identify with her and, and see that the panic on Pearl Mackey's face is, is just tremendous. She does such a good job there of making us feel for her. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, another, Pearl and, Mackey... and the moment before the doctor kills her. Mm. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think Pearl Mackey is excellent in this episode. I mean, you, she gives such a visceral performance throughout. Um, you're really right there with her uh, when she's, um, you know, uh, with, the, with what we just described in the airlock, the, when she's shocked at the end, when she's um, the, the, the gorgeous scene, which I think we'll, we'll explore in a minute of, of um, uh, <laughs> being wrong, being <laughs> called a racist by the blue guy. Which I think is one of the most delightful yes. scenes uh, in, in perhaps the whole New Who era. Yes. But, um, we'll get into it a bit. But what I will say is the character isn't very well served in this uh, in this particular episode. She doesn't really have a lot to do other than run with the Doctor as a companion. She doesn't have a lot of decisions to make. She's literally a puppet in her suit and a victim several yes. times over. Um, so it's, it's not a good episode for Bill, even if it is a great one for, for the actress. Um, and on Mm. the, um, I will say on the, the cheap, um, zombie fight, I was, I didn't felt cheated out of it. You know what I mean? Like I, they, when they glossed over it, cause I think you're right one, it's like, you're really way more invested into what's going to happen to Bill at that time. And, and mm. the, the the adversary that there's sort of all first there's already a ton of zombie stuff in it so you're not you get tons of that but you you really it really hits home the adversary here isn't the zombies it's it's the lack of oxygen and you know obviously it's right there in the title but like you know kudos for it really not forgetting that and making sure that is the conflict mm. that they're constantly emphasizing throughout and it really really works yeah. Yeah, I'm not so sure I can say that I ever really bought the concept of, mm-hmm. of selling oxygen by the breath, first of all. Um, and this <laughs> may be the point silly. in the show where I nerd out and, and talk about uh, the excellent book, Breath, by James Nestor, which I reviewed last year. And it has kind of changed my life in terms of how I think about oxygen and oxygenation, particularly during exercise and during sleep. Like you, you read that book, you learn that we um, don't actually need as much oxygen as we think we do. Uh, first mm. of all, secondly, that we we release it through into the lungs through counterintuitive way called the Bohr effect, where we uh, like if you if you actually up your carbon dioxide intake just a little bit, your hemoglobin will release more oxygen into your lungs. Um, oh. So actually, and it's interesting because <laughs> knowing that, and then you watch so we need the more scene CO2. where Nardole, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you're watching that scene where, where Nardole is sort of trying to encourage Bill to to just breathe, right? I mean, he's not saying breathe more slowly or more deeply, mm-hmm. which is wrong, because if they are counting by the breath, and that is made very clear throughout, that you, these uh, people on the station have been charged or are being charged by the company store, um, you know, even as they're getting paid, supposedly, presumably, who knows what kind of economy this is in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being charged per breath. Well, if you're being charged per breath, then obviously the thing to do, and maybe I'm just thinking this because I read breath and because I, you know, uh, write a lot about meditation, uh, do a lot of sort of, you know, experimentation and yogic breathing. You can, you can stretch out to breath to at least 20 seconds. Hmm. A single breath, right? So, with if practice, you're really going to take this to its, yeah, yeah, you, with with practice and sure, it's harder to do in a stressful situation. But you could do at least ten seconds, right? So that right. should be the focus. That should have been what Nardo was, you know, just super slow breathing, and maybe that would have just slowed the episode down. But it's just it's little niggling problems like that, and and the question of like, well, who would actually even go for this job? if you had to pay by the breath. That's ridiculous. I mean, I I want to go into space and mine some copper ore as much as the next sci-fi nerd, but don't th- <laughs> if, if I was told that my salary would be docked for every breath I took, I would, I would you know, I'm out. Sorry. You guys have fun. Uh, you know, I will find a shitty toilet cleaner job on Earth. Uh, I'm sure there's still something like that going. Yeah, I suppose you have to assume that, you know, there's there's huge swaths of the economy mm-hmm. and uh, whatever civil rights look here uh, that look radically mm-hmm. different from even contemporary capitalism right now. Um, yeah. And that's so, the problem. You have to assume it. Yeah. James Matheson did not put it in the script. Well, I do. I will say that I really like your idea of people who would take this job being super practiced at stretching out their breaths. And they're all just like (laughs) really great at it and really Zen. And they just kind of, you know, maybe they even have like a morning meditation routine and maybe, you know, this is getting really (laughs) beyond the scope of what the episode is really about. But I mean, like that idea that why are you guys all so Zen about this? Oh, well, it's because, you know, with you have to be to take this job because you got to stretch Mm -hmm. your breaths out to 30 seconds breath. Uh, It's only, that's the only way to make it worthwhile. Um, something like that would have been pretty funny. It, it could have been. I mean, you you can totally. If uh, the problem we run into with New Who a lot is that it doesn't give itself uh, breathing space oh, to, uh, hey! <laughs> to flesh out its concepts. I just I saw that one hoving interview like five seconds before I hit it. Uh, I had to go for it. Um, it. It just it's it's a fascinating concept. It deserves more exploration. Um. And there just isn't enough room for it because you've got to hit all those other Doctor Who notes like zombies and suits that make you move. And by the way, let, let's talk about these suits because I wonder mm. if you saw what I saw in these suits. Um, what did you see in the suits, such, Chris? Being such a Cyberman guy, I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't immediately latch on to the, the, the... These suits, are they're kind of Cyberman-ish, right? Because the, the they stop? That, because they stomp, because they take control of you, because they mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it's kind of a proto-Cyberman situation as much as it is a zombie situation. Yeah, I guess. I didn't quite get that. Um, I yeah. like the idea that they're not really zombies, right? Like, obviously, the bodies are just dead, and it's the suits that are the problem, and those hot bodies just happen mm-hmm. to still be in them, which was kind of an interesting to think about. Interesting. Um, Though uh, they seem to kind of go back and forth on like how smart the suits are, because they do explicitly yeah. say at one point that the suits are are dumb, right? And they're they're very simple. Mm. Um, so that seems to, and again, this might be subversion, but that seems to imply that there's going to be a big reveal at some point in the final act on who is controlling the suits. And there, yes. there is and there isn't, right? I mean, there's the reveal of who's actually behind all this, but there's no, there, there's, there's no, they're not like drones where there was like a person in a closet somewhere or someone they can really talk to who was the, the, the actual like, um, 
you know, consciousness, I guess, or, or person right. that was working there's, against them. So that there's no we're... Wizard of Oz. There's no Wizard yeah. of Oz moment. There's no so, reveal of the man behind the curtain. So, so then I'm kind of a little bit of at a loss on when the suits stop their uh, onslaught because they recognize that the Doctor has latched their life, their lives to the station. And uh, therefore, they've done a new analysis and it's no longer profitable to kill everybody, which is, you know, kind of a good little resolution. But like you just said, the suits were super simple. Right. So, yeah. How how who did that? Like, or was there some data that went back to a cloud somewhere and made this assessment? It's it's all a little vague. Uh, So I think, yeah, there are two problems here, I think, with 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 the suit situation. Um, And you put your finger on both of them. And I think that it all they both stem from. Um, kind of, you know, the, the writer Jamie Matheson didn't didn't uh, do what we talk about in, in writing of, of drowning one's own kittens, you know, killing your darlings, yeah. as Dorothy Parker put it. I think there are a couple of darlings here that he held on for too long. One is the fact that he could say that they were fighting the suits, man. So, <laughs> like, you know, that line about the, right. the doctor being like, like every worker in history, they're fighting the suits. And he just wanted that line so much that he made it about the suits, which therefore naturally made it confusing as to actually what's going on here and who the villain is here. And then secondly, there's the fact that, that Nardole reveals that an, an AI that he previously dated is now literally inside the suit. Yeah, did, that did was... I get that right? It, 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 they just sort of threw it in, and I'm not really sure if that was for color. I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um... But you, it's very extraneous, and the you're you kind of wonder like, well, wait a minute, is this AI just happens to have the same name, and is it then, or no, it doesn't, because he names it. He says, "I dated yeah. someone. I dated I dated Velma," and then the thing says, "I'm oh, now in Velma." So did he create his girlfriend? Is that the implication? Yeah. So that after this episode is, I guess, Nardle's native time when. He dated, I, I guess. I, 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 yeah, that's never this is really the problem clear. with. It's a problem with a lot of Nardole stuff is that he'll say stuff about his sort of you know robotic history and past, right? That are clearly meant for comic relief, but just sort of uh, subverts the entire purpose of a believable plot. Uh, you know, not not the Doctor Who ever ever trades in those much, but you know, you, you kind of you you've got to. You know, this this is very much something that was observed about the Harry Potter series, right? Is that the more fant- inherently fantastic your plot is, the more you've got to bring it down to earth, and that's usually, you know, and make it sort of feel real and everyday lifey, uh, and that's usually the purpose that comic relief uh, solves, right? It's not to make it more absurd, more ridiculous, and more out of the realm of our suspending our disbelief. Well, it also just um, makes us care less about Nardle. And I, I, I you know, because yeah. like, you don't really have any sense of who he is, what he is, why he's doing what he's doing, and what really matters to him. Like, because he, he talks about all this stuff yeah. about how his face isn't as the original face. He talks about the AI he dated. And there's, there's all, throughout this series, there's a lot of references to like his, I guess, modular nature. But yet he still needs a smart mm. suit, you know, like he's still sort of organic. And like, uh, what? Yeah, and he wears glasses. I never understood the glasses thing. You know, mm. it just Matt Lucas looks so wonderfully otherworldly and alien without glasses. <laughs> I don't know why you had to add that feature, and I'm sure that there's some line somewhere that explains it. But it just would have been so much better otherwise. And you always get the sense with Nardole that what they really wanted was like an animated character. Like right. They wanted it to be some sort of Disney crossover, right? Because because he does feel like he's. Uh, kind of obeying different the laws of a more cartoon universe. Mm. I don't know if you caught the moment where he is cleaning his the inside of his helmet, right? No. But he he breathes on the in, he breathes on the inside of the helmet to clean it, and then successfully, as far as I can see, actually does clean it by wiping on the outside, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> Which no, makes... I missed that one. Oh, wow. That's, uh, well, you know, we, we can definitely go back to it for the TikTok, but <laughs> <laughs> it just seems to make no sense at all. It seems that, like, we've, you've gone so far in this episode to set up the rules of physics, how they work in space, and now you're sort of having this cartoonish moment where Nardole 
breaks the rules of physics because he's not all and it just he's never landed for me and it's a shame i love matt lucas i loved his work with uh, with little britain and before that when he was a character called george dawes on um uh, a show called shooting stars which was a comedy quiz show and he just played this a giant baby who played drums that's that's how i always remember matt lucas he's this anarchic cartoon figure like he's perfect in many ways i just don't think that they ever served not all very well nice still better than ringo though yeah <laughs> um yeah so it's, yeah agree not all is problematic um speaking of problematic and <laughs> moments uh yes. I, I, I gotta say Daren and that moment uh like it's one of the best i just was a laugh out loud moment i mean i remember laughing the first time i saw it and i i was delighted in it again when I watched it uh, this time where um, mm. they, they, you know, Bill has that very genuine, whoa, reaction to seeing the blue guy. And she's just, Oh, well, wait, yep. I'm sorry. I'm not used to seeing it's like, Oh, great. We've rescued a racist. And it's, it's so good on just so many levels. Like it's, it's essentially taking first. It's like hilarious, but like it's hilarious because it's taking kind of like this microaggression and it's, it's really in its rawest form mm-hmm. because you know, blue people don't really exist and we could kind of see, see it sort of almost as a lab sample of a microaggression. Um, yes. But it's just so fantastic. Again, obviously doing this very knowingly that Bill being a lesbian black woman uh, just feels this from the other side. <laughs> and, and and it makes us as a viewer feel sympathy for yeah. her. So, so not only is it hilarious, it's, it, you can appreciate it no matter. Honestly, I feel you can appreciate this no matter where you stand on microaggressions and, and where you stand on politics, because it's just really, really funny, and it, it sort of presents both sides of like what you might say is like what's the big deal versus oh, okay, I get it. You know, everyone could be this way, mm. uh, either on either way. So I, I, I just thought it was just top marks on that. It yes, it did make me think of the uh, the wonderful Avenue Q song. Everyone's a little bit racist. <laughs> totally. um, and yeah, I just, I love that. that nobody else like, uh, uh, also there's that wonderful uh, moment where he responds. Like she says, Oh, I, I'm normally the, the subject of this. And he just looks at her like, why? Yeah. And then Which he's kind of nice. So yeah. It is a, it is hopeful in that sense. And that in the future, like we genuinely won't see why the color of people's skin should matter. Uh, instead of just saying that quote unquote we don't see color or whatever um yeah and it's sort of it's a beautiful moment and it's kind of, is it ruined i don't know or is it heightened by what nardole says next which he walks up to him and says some of my best friends are bluish yeah <laughs> i i'm on the it kind of ruins it i mean not ruins, yeah. it, ruins it it's just i found it extraneous and unnecessary it's like okay this is flogging yeah. the idea what one stroke too many it. It, it reminded me of that that great line in uh, Yellow Submarine with the Blue Meanies, where they the Beatles dress up as a fake Blue Meanie, or you know, mm-hmm. sort of ally of the Beatles dresses as a fake Blue Meanie, and Blue Meanie leans in and says, "Are you bluish? You don't <laughs> look bluish." Um, which is, you know, you can talk about the the uh, racist subtext of the Yellow Submarine all day long. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, Let's get back to well, we're we're very uh, well, we're very we're exploring a lot of problematic things in this episode. But um, <laughs> well, speaking of problematic things, let's talk about capitalism. Let's do that <laughs> because that's not going to be uh, controversial at all if we go there. Um, <laughs> well, I would say, like in terms of anti-capitalist screeds in Doctor Who, of hmm. which there are many, um, this is this is the most perhaps, overt. Yeah, it's probably the least subtle. Uh, even though I think it's pretty well executed, I think you and I might be, you might not buy the oxygen thing as much. Mm. Uh, but I think because it is, it adds a certain degree of uh, viscerality to the whole idea. I think it comes across well. So wherever you, wherever you stand on capitalism, I think you could recognize this is uh, a good, um, a good uh, sort of, uh, story that sort of uh, does its job into condemning it pretty well. Um, you know, taking something like oxygen, which is, think. you know, should obviously be like more akin to a utility than a private thing. And this whole thing, like the, the moment that is like jaw, like jaw dropping for me 
is the where the station pumps out unauthorized air. You know, because the, the just the, the raw mm. wastefulness of that. You're just like, holy crap! Like, yes. clearly, like you know, like I get it. This is sort that, of market forces run amok. That feels right. Yeah, yeah. As a moment, that, that's the part that really feels right, and it's it's like it's a dumb, wasteful uh, waste of resources to create artificial scarcity. Mm. Um, which again makes me think of Douglas Adams and, and his whole thing with the where the Golgofrinchians land on Earth and decide to burn the forests because they've made leaves their currency, so they have to create artificial scarcity by burning as many leaves as possible. Um, you know, a, a wonderful satire, great little commentary, and kind of got it of a piece with the number of breaths thing, which mm-hmm. is like you you don't realize that that's the most inefficient way you could be counting your oxygen loss and or, or counting getting... distance even because at one yeah. point they even point that out it's like what are these meters no it's breaths and it's like oh that seems like yeah. a bad way to, to draw a map yeah that falls on the side of uh, darling that should have been killed yeah. should have been killed for me well what they uh, could have they could have done the same thing i mean i don't know this is probably would have raised the, the budget but you could have been like have a, a toggle you know like oh wait I'm seeing it in breaths. Hold on, click. Oh, it's yeah, it's ten meters, not thirty <laughs> breaths. You know what I mean? Like, and then you see the sort of the numbers change. Like that, that might have been a decent way of of showing that without sort of making it seem all encompassing. And that's kind of like the problem here. I feel like the whole anti capitalist thing just becomes all encompassing in it to the point where the doctor mm. has to make that sweeping statement at the end uh, that this is the incident that, that, that essentially destroys capital or is the, is the downfall of capitalism for the entire universe or yeah. just, like <laughs> humanity, which kind of like, well, hold on a second. Wait a sec. Yeah. I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> like those two people he saves at the end are the only people left. And it's like, they, they don't really seem like the type of people that are going to lead a revolution. I'm sorry. Nothing against yeah. uh, the two of them. I forget who they are. I think it's, is it Ivan? I'm sure that, I'm sure they're perfectly lovely background characters from a Base Under Siege episode, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't really get to know them very much or see any leadership skills or like, I don't know, is this supposed to be a, a Moffat era, you know, the doctor as God kind of rubbing off on people, making them into little revolutionaries kind of thing. Um, no, I think what it, it is a Moffat era thing, but I, I think it's a Moffat era thing of, of trying to attach this world sweeping universe changing importance to an episode, but it's so tacked on and it usually is. Mm-hmm. So at least in other episodes, like uh, the two that really come to mind are kill the moon, which is like, mm-hmm. Oh, the moon's the moon's an egg, you know, and death in heaven, which is like, Oh, the afterlife is really this uh, death matrix. The master created. Didn't you know? Um, uh, I just had a moment of existential angst, realizing that the randomizer will someday take us to kill the moon. <laughs> okay, probably next. Um, so, so yeah, but it is, kill the it's moon, like, aka kill me now. <laughs> oh, I love I it. Watch it again. Uh, um, but like, uh, like I say, I think the the Moffat thing of like doing this universe changing stakes to the story I just said hmm. uh, actually makes them feel smaller because you you're expecting there to be a consequence or some clarity around it, and there almost never is. And it's forgotten about. So uh, the story would still work. This story still works as just another, like another capitalism run amok type society, uh, mm. similar to whatever the, the Sun Makers, the Green Death. Pick your pick your classic episode, and the Doctor stops it and makes it uh, uh, you know leads people down the right path, and that's fine. You don't have to say like this is the downfall of all of capitalism forever. Yes. Yeah, and oh, by the way, capitalism ended the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just sounds yeah. like some kid, right? Like, it, it sounds like a joke. Like someone's well, ribbing us on on Reddit or something. <laughs> well, speaking of connections to other episodes, I wonder if you two uh, saw the connection to a a Capaldi episode that we've already had. That kind of we we haven't mm. talked about much. Um, sleep no more. Uh, I did not see the connection other than they're mm. both kind of base under siege and both uh, base under future. siege in, in future in space, but also both capitalism critiques, right? Because sleep no oh, more. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the reason that they are sleeping no more 
is building up all this dust is productivity is capitalism so it's mm-hmm. it's it's a one remove from being a critique like you never go the full anti-capitalism let's let's keep it at a, a safe distance and also by the way I think it's misnamed. I think what they're, what they're talking about here is not capitalism, because it's not like the doctor is suggesting some kind of alternate system where, you know, the uh, sale of goods and services is is somehow banned and we're in some sort of, you know, space communist utopia. Right. Um, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't see that at any, at any point. Like, it's not a thing that the show's about. It's really more about corporatism, right? And uh, corporate capitalism. And, capitalism run amok because it's being run by the big guys i mean i i am dying for a good science fiction story to show us what happens when or if the world is all small businesses like what if you just banned businesses from ever having more than 200 employees um i think we'd be in a lot of better place because the, the rapacious nature of capitalism seems to stem from corporations getting large sort of having uh, and bloated and and having this impetus to get larger and larger and larger and more and more anonymous and less and less human and and less accountable to elected governments yeah less accountable and more you know uh, seeking the seeking growth just because that's what the law says you have to do right create value for shareholders once you're a public company so you're required to grow it's a great documentary. I don't know if you've seen it called The Corporation, which really, really breaks the down the mechanics of this. Basically says, you know, look, this is actually the, the growth philosophy of the cancer. You know, growing right. at any cost. Constantly uh, et cetera. Literally, you know, large corporations are designed to be cancers on society by law. By the right. law that says continually create more value for shareholders. Right. So, so Canada, you know, like, the it's it's it's... The analogy breaks down a bit because obviously cancer isn't isn't creating any value. But the um, I, I think that's a great idea. Like what you just uh, suggested, like having a sort of the the planet of small businesses or the empire mm. of small businesses, and see what that is, and also like trying to explore what the weaknesses of that would be because you could see mm. uh, competitive systems that do allow corporatism simply being by by most measures probably more successful uh, from a from a you know growth and output productivity standpoint. Um, yeah. and seeing how, how, how that plays out would be really, really interesting. Um, I, I, yeah, I think Dr. you can also make the, the case, to do that. I think you can also can make the case that it might be, um, the, the a condemnation more of just unbridled capitalism, uh, with no checks and no, no humanity mm-hmm. attached to it. Uh, which I think you kind of get a, um, a little bit of the reverse argument, uh, in a rare, uh, in a rare, uh, it's rare that that gets made, but it was in Kerblam in uh, the, the Whitaker mm. era. And it's kind of like, you know, it's clearly all about Amazon and, and this Kerblam company is the same sort of business model. Uh, but yeah. it, all, it turned out like to, I, I like that one because it sort of subverts the expected anti-capitalist, anti-capitalist screed. And it turns out the corporation is, is the victim in that episode. And, actually redeems itself at the end because it shows like, well, if we attach some humanity to our policies, we might just succeed and it might be win-win for everyone. So they sort of were like, we're, we're not going to go, I think at some point, 100% automated, they were going to like limit it to like 80% or something like that. Um, which yeah. I thought was like a good, yeah, uh, nice. a good attempt at sort of like showing that, okay, like, you know, we can, we can, we, we don't always have to take the easy... <laughs> Um, uh, the easy, simplistic resolution to these things, and and have make make sort of more subtle mm. points, but this one obviously is the reverse. You know, uh, one one of my favorite editors used to say, uh, "Don't bring me problems, bring me solutions." And I sort of chafed against him saying that until I realized what he meant was, like, I'm I'm the boss. I'm too busy running the whole ship. Just give me give. Come to me and show me that you've thought about the problem and that you have a proposed solution, right? It's just a shorter way of saying that. Yeah. And I think the same is true for these kind of screed episodes of Doctor Who. It's like, yes, we know that capitalism has issues. We all agree on that. You know, we disagree about the extent, you know, how pro-anti-capitalism, how much you want to smash the entire system. But it's never going to work if you just smash the system. Show us what you want to replace it with. Let's explore that. 
Yeah. You know, let, let's let's take this this precious time that you have to talk to a mass audience uh, about capitalism and explore some alternatives. So yeah, to your point, Kablam does that. Um, and well, this, in this just one, they just, this, yeah, it's kind of like a primal scream, right? Yeah, exactly. And they just kind of punt uh, the solution. I think the mm. doctor just says, it's the downfall of capitalism and humanity moves on to its next big mistake. <laughs> you're just like <laughs> which is what like what did I, yeah I, exactly know, again, beyond I, the scope but like yeah, yeah it's just How unsatisfied follow yeah well okay so let's go back to to satisfying moments for who veterans there is a reference here in oxygen to the very second story mm. in our list uh the very to the, the daleks um, yeah which I yeah. didn't realize when I was watching it. That uh, so Nardal disables the fluid link, right? Of the TARDIS. He, yeah, he removes it, so he's got it like in his pocket, and he removed it because the doctor told him to that that would disable the TARDIS, mm-hmm. and because the doctor <laughs> apparently didn't trust himself, so yeah. told him told Nardal to remove the fluid link in case he does exactly what he does in this episode, but. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, he no was not really that married to the idea uh, because it it doesn't actually disable the TARDIS. So you know, you could unpack that a little bit as a character moment. Like it's a bit silly that it even happens given the given how it it plays out. It's it's a it makes me think there's like a super deep cut for the for the super fans of the show. Right. Right. Uh, if you're a super, super, super fan and you've seen the Daleks tons of times, uh, you you might recognize that and go, oh, you know, that's that's a good one. Yes, that's how you would stop the Doctor from traveling because we all know that he can't operate without the fluid link. Oh, he figured out a way around it. He he did a workaround. He obviously he's not the same Doctor as he once was. And it is interesting, by the way, coming here from. Uh, well, not directly from Hartnell, but having recently watched so many Hartnell right. stories, mm-hmm. the randomizer went through a bit of a Hartnell phase. It really struck me how different the Doctor is, how much more confident the Doctor is. That, like, he's had all these centuries of experience of yes, I walk into these situations, I'm instantly the smartest person in the room. Here's what we do: bam, 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 bam. You're following me. You're listening to me. You're doing this, and he's. You know, compare that to a Hartnell who would just much more, maybe he would still get to the same point of being the, the leader of the group, but much more reluctantly, much more right. slowly. And right? it'd be more, more of a journey to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's this guy right off the bat. And he's sort of like, again, it's more of Bill getting the short shrift here where um, he's like, okay, uh, pick a place to go. And she's like, all right, there. And he's like, no, 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 no. Let's go here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of funny, but it's like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to give the companions the choice, it's it's like saying all of time and space. Where do you want to go next? And you give them the answer. And he's like, no, no, not there. Except there. Yeah. Uh, the Egyptians? No, no, not not Egypt. Done with uh, Egypt. You know. Just I had I had Egyptians for lunch. Where let's let's just go. <laughs> let's go to the far future. But to unpack the fluid lake thing even a little more, and it probably doesn't bear this level of scrutiny, but if you actually <laughs> think back to the Daleks and, and go over that, that the the doctor lies. So he mm. lies to Ian, Barbara, and Susan that the fluid link is broken and is out of, I mm-hmm. think, mercury, which is the fluid. And um, that's how he convinces them to go explore the city, which they end up getting captured by the Daleks. So, you know... It might be truthful that, like, like it, if there's, if there's clearly there, there's clearly some truth to the fluid link being disabled. Will disable the, the the TARDIS because Susan believes him, right? Like Ian and Barbara, they don't know anything. Mm. Susan is like also fooled. Um, so I guess there is some truth to it. But so either either you can take his meaning as like, oh, you you actually don't need fluid links, which I don't think is it, um, I, or that he's modified the TARDIS, that the fluid links um, aren't as necessary anymore, or he's got a backup, or he just gave Nardal, like, pointed to some completely redundant component and called it a fluid link, 
<laughs> it, it, it is it, it's kind of a nice uh reference also and we've discussed this on the show before in when we go to our davison episodes you pointed out something that that i hadn't been aware of before that there is a phase in davison where that there's always a tardis component that that doesn't work or that has been removed or yeah. stolen or something and there's a lot of techno babble about yeah. quantum accelerators and temporal limiters and that kind of thing and it's very much like the tardis is treated more as a machine, uh, mm. as a craft than, uh, even stories before and since that treated it more like, uh, certainly a machine, but also kind of partially conscious, a bit of a living thing. Mm. Uh, I think that featured obviously pretty highly in the Pertwee era, but certainly also in the new series, which it's sort of reinvents itself and has a mind of its own. Um, yeah. The, the tension between the, the doctor's wife and the doctor's ride. Um, yeah. Is is evident throughout the show, and it's fascinating to see that that this is this is very much a doctor's wife moment, right? It's uh, like, ha! I don't need no stinking fluid link. Look at look at this beauty. Look at how she <laughs> takes me where I need to go. We know each other so well. <laughs> uh, this beautiful moment just after that. By the way, we should mention when they land on the station, and uh, Bill is like, "Why? It's space. Why isn't there zero gravity?" And Doctor's like, "Artificial." Uh, you know, artificial gravity. Um, presumably, the the spinning wheel creates it, and Bill tries it for a bit. He's like, oh, but what if I jump up? Uh, what if? Mm-hmm. Oh, what if I? Uh. Um, and that's that's kind of nice. I think that's a nod to what we would do. Yeah. If if we were the Doctor's companion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, especially if you've never, um, like, I mean, it's so casual in most sci-fi that, Oh, we're on a ship. It's just presumed you have gravity, even though that that's really a thing that has not been invented yet. Like the, the only way we know how to simulate it and credit to, um, sci-fi franchises that, that do it this way is the, is the rotating sections, right? Like in Babylon five is the only one that, that repeatedly comes to mind when I think about that because they're explicit about it and they even show like the ship design, how, how things are rotating constantly. Um, but this mm-hmm. whole casual thing, Oh, there's just, you know, there's just casual gravity that was done by some science that we don't know of. I mean, like if you take someone from the 20th century, they're gonna be like, Holy crap. Like, really? There's no planet here. And I can just jump up and down. Wow. That's not a thing where I'm from. Casual gravity. I love it. (laughs) Gravity is the most casual. It's the most casual of hookups when you talk about forces. Yeah. Yeah. It's just everywhere. You know, you just fall into something. It's boom. It just happens, dude. So, so should have we? we, have we uh, yeah. Have we exhausted the uh, exhausted the air supply the possibilities of oxygen? <laughs> How many breaths have we taken in this episode, Pete? Oh, a lot of deep ones. And that uh, wouldn't it be hilarious if we went right to deep breath from oxygen? Ooh. <laughs> That is when we discover that the randomizer is alive. Right. It couldn't. It, that, um, that'll be huge. What are the chances? Well, we will find out. Uh, but we should really talk about how what would have happened if the evil plot here had mm. succeeded. So the evil plot, first of all, hard, hard one to identify, but it's it's the corporation itself is uh, to, has told the suits to uh, disassemble the organic material in it because they're not being productive enough, right? Right, exactly. And it's it's mostly succeeded because most of the seat the suits are on a network, hmm. and it doesn't take much. Uh, once it's on the network, it'll just send a command to do it. So that. Um, that's why our heroes have all been okay because the suits are off the network and they need to be actually physically touched for, for that to happen. So, so if we're talking about the evil plot, uh, that's the evil plot. Then um, I guess you presume in the final moments, either the doctor doesn't put it together or isn't successful about um, latching their life signs onto the station's uh, uh, self-destruct. And, because of that, the suits just walk in and kill them. Mm. And the thing is, if that happens, Bill's still not dead. Yeah, that's the she's the only one. So, if everyone else dies, and the doctor, I guess, presumably would regenerate to Jody, right there. Yep. 
And so we, we get Jody and Bill, uh, the continuing that's a, wow. adventures. That sounds like yeah. a fun, fun pairing, actually. Right? I, I would totally see that. I was I was terribly dismayed when, when Pearl Mackey left the show along with Capaldi. I, I think she really could have provided some you know wonderful continuity and she's Bill is such a great character uh, that that uh, as you say in this episode she didn't have a lot of agency and it's unfortunate for her character uh, because she's she's so compelling and she only gets one season. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I guess I kind of would have liked the evil plot to succeeded. Uh, because we would have hastened that that uh, journey to uh, Jody and uh, had uh, had Pearl Mackey along for the ride. And so, presumably, yes. once she regenerates, Pearl Mackey's still unconscious. I mean, Bill's still unconscious. Mm-hmm. So then, the doctor. Hope, presumably, the suits are now like it may take her a couple minutes. The suits might have moved away, so she had some time to sort of orient herself. And then rescue Bill, mm-hmm. uh, find the TARDIS, and just get away. And then it becomes, I guess, just a regeneration episode because uh, there's no one left to kind of uh, to save. And the capitalism endures, mm-hmm. if you think about it. So that's what happens if the evil plot <laughs> succeeds. Uh, there's no downfall of capitalism. It's, it, it just wow. keeps on chugging along. Yeah, humanity doesn't get an opportunity to move on to its next mistake. Mm. Whatever um, that is, whatever that may be, uh, space communism, rom communism, <laughs> despotism, the great Ted Lasso. Um, yeah, from, yeah. From a universe standpoint, it, it it's kind of like I say. I don't know if it's that different. I mean, the, the, the dialogue's yeah. different, but it's like it's kind of an equal shrug. Like I guess. I, I wonder if you know when 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 we're done with this entire experiment of. Uh, Watching all Doctor Who and Random Water, if if we could rank the episodes by uh, how little interest we had and in what would happen if the evil plot succeeded, because uh, <laughs> like, yeah, that's sort of an indicator of how low the stakes are, right? Right. Um, stakes are low. They may be lower here than they've been at any point since the uh, the King's Demons. Yeah, so strangely, exactly. Of, oh no, Magna Carta won't get signed. The stakes are low, even though they they explicitly say they're not. But it, like I say, it's it, for some reason them trying to inflate it just makes it feel smaller. And yeah, yeah mm. uh, it just kind of like don't really care what happens to the this this society, this universe once we leave. Um, yeah, it's too bad. There's a lesson there for storytellers everywhere. Indeed, make sure your your stakes are raised and feel raised. All right, so should we raise them for ourselves, perhaps, with some reliance on our randomizer? Maybe it'll uh, yes. take us to some high-stakes stuff. Yes, indeed. Uh, I've got I've gone to random.org, which okay. uh, new listeners need to know. Random.org provides true randomness, and uh, they base this on atmospheric noise rather than algorithms, so it looks truly random, as, as shown by the super weird bunching up of Capaldi episodes that we've watched and Hartnell episodes all of this stuff in the vast swathe of space occupied by Matt Smith and Tennant. Um, you know, the number of doctors we haven't seen yet. Anyway, we have broken down the number of Doctor Who stories into uh, 297. So our, our numbering is slightly different than the show. Yep. Uh, and so that's the essential other part of the randomizer, which is uh, a spreadsheet. A virtual spreadsheet, though, if it were, if we were using a uh, a Type Forty uh, <laughs> machine, it would be a punch card, no doubt. <laughs> a state indicator reference out there for y'all, and yeah. uh, maybe with that, hopefully, we'll we'll get there. Uh, but I would love to go to a, a doctor we haven't done before. That would be pretty sweet. But you know, that's that's the challenge. Well, we've challenged challenge we've challenged the randomizer with that before, and it keeps frustrating us. So I'm just going to say, <laughs> let's do something fun. Let's do something exactly the same, randomizer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Don't, don't take us anywhere new or interesting in any way at all. Um, <laughs> don't produce an interesting contrast. All right, are we ready for this? I'm ready. All right, three, two, one. No, not the mind's probe. 90. 90, oh, wow. Have we, we done that? go back to... Oh, the Talons of Wang Chang. What? 
Yes. Well, it's a long one, Chris. This is a six episoder. Uh-uh. Six episoder, but also renowned as one of the best uh, Doctor Who stories ever. Um, Indeed. The, the question is going to remain whether whether it holds up in twenty twenty one. It's interesting having dealt with the the, the microaggression and the casual racism moment of oxygen that we're going here, mm-hmm. uh, where we're, we're going to have to deal with it some more. But, yeah, perhaps in a meta yeah. level, but yes. And uh, all I have to say about this one is rats. <laughs> you get it. Rats. You love it. Why did it have to be rats? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, lots, uh, lots to unpack on that one. There's going to be a lot of... Um, uh, looking at things that we, you know, they, they ran with later, uh, but also like another Hinchcliffe era um, sort of gothic horror tale in, uh, in Victorian London. So this will be fun. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I don't think I've actually <clears throat> watched it through all the way before. So, so having an opportunity to do that is, uh, is going to be super interesting um, coming to it fresh ish um in 2021 i'm, I'm going to be able to provide a different perspective from mm-hmm. the average fan who has seen this 60 times and you know cannot cannot divorce seeing it now in their heads from from all of those times in the past when they saw it yeah the randomizer is definitely um you know it's got its preferences and it loves the classics uh does to mm. come back to them you know after having seen early hinge cliff stuff with pyramids of mars um, now we're getting into the the real deal. This is arguably the peak. So, all right, without spoiling too much, looking forward to that. Um, it's going to be a good time. So, Chris, yeah. this has been great. Great to uh, breathe in oxygen with you. And uh, as well as you, listeners. Don't breathe so out much. sheer capitalism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or whatever next mistake we have. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. This has been Pull to Open, the podcast. Yes, it's a podcast. If for whatever reason you're encountering this in some other platform or medium, please subscribe. Open up your podcast app. We're on all of them. We're on the Apple Podcasts app, the Google Podcasts app, the Spotify. I don't think we have a podcast app, but Spotify. Uh, and every other podcast app. All the podcast places you know are there. Pull to open. Subscribe. Leave a review. We love those too. Um, follow us on the socials. TikTok, as ever, is our favorite social network. We're at Pull to Open. All one word, obviously, and Twitter and Instagram were pulled to open 63, having some fun on those platforms as well. Uh, I think that's it, Chris. Any final words? Final breaths? Let's, let's, let's go forward into our next great mistake. Let's do it. All right, folks. See you next time. We'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs>